Well, do turn with me to page 1180. I'm aware that half of you squint occasionally as the, the sun bursts through the clouds. I hope that's it. I can come stand there if that would be easier, but it's not too much of an angle change, so I think I'll leave you to suffer. Um, sorry about that. Um, if it gets too bad, then just raise your hands and I'll, I'll try and do something. Page 1180 and Philippians chapter 3. Oh, why are you finding that? Have a go at these. At what ages do children take tests at school? What are the minimum ages at which you can buy alcohol and tobacco? What languages other than English are spoken in Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales? What and when are the patron saints days of the four countries in the UK? What is the Church of England? In the House of Commons, what do the speaker and the whips do? What are quangos and non-departmental public bodies? What is the purpose of a job interview? How can people find a dentist? Which alarmingly was followed by this one. What services can be offered by vets? (laughs) Well, those are all questions that you could face if you took the Life in the UK test, which has been introduced for those seeking British citizenship. I don't know what the pass mark is. I got 8 out of 14 when I tried it. I hope I'm not going to get deported. I don't know what you think of the merits of a test like that, but the overall rationale behind it is clear, isn't it? That to be a citizen of this country is more than just a title, or should be. It is a title. It's a status that we can benefit from. But as well as that, it should be reflected to some degree in our sense of identity, how we see ourselves, our our behaviour, how we act in the world, our hopes, what we want from the future. Being a citizen should make a difference. And it makes that difference wherever we are, whether we are at home or overseas. All of which leads us to our text for today, Philippians 3.20 where Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. Whether we're British or Bengali, Australian or Austrian, if we are Christians here today, then our citizenship is in heaven. And it must make a difference. It must make a difference to our identity, how we see ourselves, to our behaviour, how we act in the world, and to our hope, what we want from the future. And in each case... As we'll see, it is Jesus Christ who holds the key to what that difference is, who holds the key to what it really means to be a citizen of heaven. So firstly then, let's think about our identity. The point is this, the Christian understands himself or herself to be a Christian first and foremost. It is who we are and should dominate the way I think about myself. So who am I? I'm a child of God. Who am I? I'm a follower of Jesus. Who am I? I'm a member of the kingdom of God. Who am I? I'm a sinner forgiven by grace. Who am I? A servant of Christ. Who am I? One in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Who am I? I'm an ambassador of Christ. Who am I? I am an heir of God and co-heir with Christ. Who am I? I'm one of God's chosen people. Who am I? I am a citizen of heaven. Who am I? I'm a Christian. We need to see that those answers are more fundamental to our identity than any others. 
whether it's being an Englishman, a husband, a father, a son, a Church of England minister, whatever the categories that apply to you. No, we are citizens of heaven. We are aliens and strangers in this world because we do not belong here. We're part of a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's where we belong. We belong with the Lord, the Lord who made us and who saved us. The Lord who today sits at the Father's side in heaven. And so we are citizens of heaven as we await his return. That's our identity. And if our citizenship then is in heaven, well then we need to make sure that we don't try to give ourselves a sense of identity or sense of self-worth in anything else. So that in our minds we come to define ourselves by other things as a mother or a doctor or consultant or as a small group leader in church or as a business leader. We mustn't chase after such things as though they were the key to self-esteem or happiness or identity. No, we already have something far better and far more fundamental. Citizenship in heaven should redefine the way we view ourselves. And then leading on from that, it redefines the way we view others. Firstly, there's the way that we relate to other Christians. This citizenship is plural there in verse 20, isn't it? Our citizenship is in heaven, says Paul. I don't know if you've had the the privilege of travelling abroad to far-flung places uh, on holiday or or perhaps for work. Um, But if you have, then I'm sure you'll have experienced the, the sudden bond you have Uh, when you meet people who are British as well, if if you're British. Someone who you wouldn't think twice about, and certainly wouldn't stop to speak to if they park next to you at Tesco's, actually you'll have a friendly conversation with when they park next to you in another part of the world. That's natural, isn't it? Because uh, you have a common identity. uh, An identity that is different to the place in which you find yourselves. Well, so it is for us as Christians in the world. We have a special bond because together we belong somewhere where we are not. Together we are to stand out from the world in which we find ourselves. So in verse 17, if you look back, we're to join together in following Paul's example. His example in his desire to know Christ and be found in him, amongst other things, verses 12 and 13 there. Now, does that mean that as Christians, all other differences, be they national identities or personality traits, are eroded so that we become indistinguishable from each other, bland, boring, uh, uniform? Well, no, not at all. We remain the people who we are, But all of that is to be brought under the Lordship of Christ so that we're actually more fully ourselves. So I love the picture we see in Revelation 21, our other reading. Uh, You don't need to turn to it, but in John's vision of the new creation, this great city, what does he see? Well, he sees the kings of the earth bringing their splendour into it and the glory and honour of the nations being brought into it. It's the best of the wealth of human culture globally and throughout history brought together under one head. 
Our citizenship in heaven, it doesn't deny our different backgrounds or abilities or skills. Uh, Rather, it, it just trumps them so that it is more core to who we are, more core to how we relate to others than anything else which might divide. That's why, isn't it, uh, Paul can say that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Our common citizenship is the source of our identity and our unity. So if you have trouble being united to people here in this church family, if there are people who you know are Christians but who, who you don't get along with, or perhaps you just never bother with, Well, then I wonder if underlying that is a mistaken view of ourselves. That we forget that we are citizens of heaven. Bought with a price. United to Christ and so united to his people. Citizenship in heaven, it redefines how we view ourselves. It redefines how we relate to fellow Christians. But what about the way we relate to non-Christians? Well, for a start, Paul's very clear on what a stark difference there is, isn't he? Verse 18 there. As I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. If you are not a citizen of heaven, then you are an enemy of the cross. An enemy of Christ. It's strong language, isn't it? And we can believe it, perhaps, of the aggressive atheist or the devout Hindu or Muslim. But is it really the way that we view some of our work colleagues or our family or our neighbours? Aren't they just indifferent, sort of floating voters in the sea of religious belief? Well, no. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. And we might also remember Jesus' words in Luke 19, 27, that his enemies are all those who do not want him to be king over them. Plenty of different alternative kings that people follow. One follows one, one follows another. You can look ardently religious or be the most politically correct pluralist politician. But if you don't want Jesus as your king, then you are his enemy. That means that we are living as strangers in a hostile world, doesn't it? Having our citizenship in heaven doesn't make us like a tourist on holiday. No, it makes us like a a British person living in Germany at the height of World War II. We live in a hostile world. And so we need to be aware of the culture in which we find ourselves. But note too here that our reaction is not to be one of disdain nor one of vitriolic pride, but rather one of tears. Paul wept when he saw so many turning away from Christ. Jesus himself wept over Jerusalem, knowing that they would not see peace that he had come to bring. What has been your reaction this week uh, to Sudan imprisoning Gillian Gibbons over that teddy bear What's your reaction when you hear yet another person attacking Christianity on on TV or the radio? What is your reaction to the people at work who are polite about what you believe? 
but who just aren't interested. Oh, we should cry. A cry of compassion that longs for people to repent, to turn their lives around and turn to God and be saved. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's our identity that stems from it. It dominates the way we view ourselves and it should dominate our relationship with others, uniting with our brothers and sisters and having compassionate concern for those who live as enemies of the cross. But next then, being a citizen of heaven must make a difference to our behaviour. And for this, really, we, we see it by contrast. Just look at what being a citizen of heaven is contrasted with in verses 18 and 19. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Now this then is how a non-Christian world is described. A world which we are to contrast. First their God is their stomach. Which I take it includes literal gluttony and excess. Uh, But more than that points to a focus on the immediate needs and cravings of our lives. Only concerned with sating appetite for whatever it is. The latest must-have possession, the next close relationship, the most popular new experience. Do you fall into that trap? Forgetting that you are a citizen of heaven and living as though you were part of this world. Focusing on those things which so crowd out our lives that we have little time left for God. Uh, Perhaps it's uh, cars or clothes or culture, caravans, cruises, cottages, CDs, cameras, conservatories, kitchens. I know, kitchens begins with a K, but it sounds the same. How we pursue those things and how they enslave us, these gods of our stomach. They enslave us by, by the need to work the longer hours to save up and buy them. We're enslaved by the time and energy needed to maintain and protect them. Enslaved by the mental energy needed to learn about and remember them. Enslaved by the mess we end up in when they fail to satisfy. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. The very things that should shame are what we often boast about. Perhaps it's the the drinking stories, the flashy possessions, it's the name dropping, it's the point scoring, it's the reputation for ruthlessness. Things which just highlight that the person is living for the now, living without reference to God, not wanting Jesus to be king over them, but which are presented as things to be impressed by and even jealous of. Pick up any magazine, and these are the sorts of people who were there as our role models. So are you? Are you impressed? Are you jealous? Don't be. Don't crave the life of an enemy of Christ. Their mind is on earthly things. That's why they follow their gods and ignore their shame. 
But our citizenship is in heaven. And so citizenship in heaven must affect our behaviour, mustn't it? Because we have a different God. We desire not to satisfy our instant cravings, but instead to serve the Lord Jesus, who, as it says in the previous chapter, verse 6, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's why they're enemies of the cross of Christ, because the cross cross is both the salvation that they reject and the exact opposite of the life they lead. And so their destiny is destruction. No, self-sacrifice, not self-gratification, is the mark of Christian discipleship. Because we look beyond earthly things. We look beyond the instant cravings of our lives and look to our citizenship in heaven. We see here that Paul roots the Christian life in the cross of Christ as our means of grace and our pattern of life. The way we're saved and the way we're to live. But then he also roots it, doesn't he, in the coming of Christ when our being saved will be completed and our lives forever transformed. That leads us to our our final point, that being a citizen of heaven must affect our hope. Have a look again at verse 20 there. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We just note there that uh, heaven isn't where we hope to be. No, it's where Jesus currently is, isn't it? And it's from there that he will come. Links with Revelation 21 again that we heard read. Uh, John sees the holy city coming down from heaven, from God. Our hope is in the new creation, new heavens and new earth. This world refined through fire and made new and perfect. It's the delights of heaven, Jesus' presence and perfect rule, brought down to earth. That is the hallmark of the new creation and the foundation for our hope. That's why a citizen of heaven eagerly awaits Jesus' return. It's Advent Sunday today and we're looking back at the first coming of our Lord and Saviour. It's great to do that, especially as it makes us remember the cross for which he came. But this passage makes us look not only to the cross, but also to the coming. When the victory of the cross is applied to the whole of creation. So it's a question for us, isn't it, whether Jesus' return fills our minds. Do we eagerly await it? We eagerly await plenty of other things, don't we? A wedding day, a holiday, a family visit, a milestone in life. Let's make sure we await his return more eagerly. And I'm sure that for some here, talk of Jesus' return seems too amazing 
too unbelievable. And yet today we we, we remember that Jesus has come once, that first Christmas, that, that he has come and defeated Satan, that he's paid the price of sin, enduring its penalty. If he started that work, well then of course he will return to finish it. If God has started to rescue his people and bring about his kingdom, then there is no doubt that he will finish his work. And so eagerly await. We eagerly await both a saviour and a lord. A lord who in verse 21 here has all power and brings transformation to our lowly bodies. Won't that be great? Our bodies which seem to have idolatry inbuilt into them, where even our stomach can become a god, that downward pull where we fail to control our tongue or avert our eyes and where the laziness of hands and feet leads us into sin again and again, it will be changed. And that's not to mention the physical deterioration of our bodies, the aches and the pains, that the waning of mental powers, the deterioration of our eyes, our, our hearing, our muscles, our heart, our, our organs, all reversed, all perfected, and in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. At last we will be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Made perfect so that we can honour and serve him wholeheartedly forever. And our bodies renewed like his resurrection body. If our citizenship is in heaven, then that is our future. That is our joy. And it is our hope. Our citizenship is in heaven, says Paul, and it changes everything. It means that we find our identity in Christ because he's Lord of heaven, so he is Lord of us. So we see ourselves as his people, uniting with those like us, weeping for those who are not. It means that we model our behaviour on Christ, going the way of the cross, the way of self-sacrifice, not self-gratification. Because we know that it is the cross that has freed us from sin. Freed us from following the God of our stomach. To following instead the God of glory. And finally it means that we fix our hope on Christ's return. Certain in the knowledge that this present world is passing away. And eagerly awaiting the new. When the whole earth and us with it will be gloriously transformed. So let's pray together.